So um, this past week on Wednesday, um, I was going to drive Gabe to a new field, a new soccer field that he hadn't been to yet. And uh, on this particular, for this particular soccer practice, um, I was going to, so the boys play soccer in Surrey on teams in Surrey because of their level of soccer. But um, so I was going to have to drive Gabe to his field and then I was going to have to drop him off and drive Elijah to his soccer field and then come back and pick up Gabe and then go back and pick up Elijah. And then we were going to go home. So there was already like a number of moving parts in this soccer scenario. So because it was a new field, I went on the app and uh, I pressed on the location, it said, and it gave the address and it, it linked us into Apple Maps. And so, you know, then we looked and it was going to be about 35 minutes away, which already was like a bit of a surprise because most of our fields are not that far into Surrey. They're like 20 to 25 minutes away usually. And so this one was way on the other side of Surrey. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And so we got ready to leave. And so I, I gave the phone to Elijah and Siri was giving us directions as we went and, and Elijah was navigating. So he's telling me, you know, giving me the heads up where to turn. And we, so we made it all the way there. We got there with two minutes to spare for the warm up, And, um, and we arrived to a residential street. There's no field. You know, and so it was like, oh, man. So I was like, oh, maybe it's the end of the street. So I drove down to the end of the street and it's just more houses. So I said to Elijah, you know, Lige, look on the map. Is there a field around here? And he looked and was like, well, there's a field like a ways away, but it's not. I don't think it's the field we're going to. It's like a park. And I was like, what? You know, and so we pulled over and I said, well, you know, put in it's I think the field is at North Surrey secondary school so put that in and see if like we're in the right area and he so he puts it in and (laughs) the first thing that happens is it comes up and says it's an hour and a half away so you know that's not right because it's in surrey but then it changed and it was like 13 minutes away and it was back the direction we'd come you know like back toward our house so i was like what you know and i'm frustrated and so we get in the car and we got you know made it there and he was he was on time he was a little bit late but he was okay but um, but, you know, the, the, the interesting question that came up for me is like, how can we get to where we're going if we don't even know where we're going? You know, like we, di- I didn't, we didn't even know where we're going. And so how are we going to know the way to where we're going? It's like we just trust Siri to tell us and, you know, someone put in some address, random address in Surrey for the field. And we ended up somewhere totally different. And I'm guessing that since most of the players are from Surrey, that they didn't put in the address. They just drove to the field because they knew where it was and they would know how to get there. The way matters. The destination matters (laughs) that you know where you're going or that you know the way there. You know, how do we get there? And, And where are we going? Those are important things. Right now we have travel restrictions. So you're not going anywhere in case you thought you were. And we've, and we've got, you know, COVID exhaustion. Lauren and I ran into someone yesterday and they were just saying like, I'm just done. It's, we're done with this. You know, we're exhausted with it. And we have vaccination hopes and fears and people are feeling this, this you know, pull between these two things. And we've got a world in turmoil and it's causing most of us, many of us to feel troubled on some level. Troubled. And so today's passage is very timely and very fitting for what we're going through in our world and in this time. 
Uh, we're in a sermon series called A Few Last Things. So uh, it's, it's the night before Jesus is betrayed and arrested and beaten and executed. And he goes into this upper room and he eats a meal, a Passover meal with his disciples. And then he gets a basin and a towel and he washes their feet. And then he tells them to do the same thing to, to one another. And he announces that someone's going to betray him, one of the group, and they're all wondering who it is. And then Judas gets up and leaves. And it's Judas, you know, if you didn't know that part of the story. And then Jesus commands them, the disciples, to love one another as the greatest apologetic, the greatest reason why people would, would know that they're followers of Jesus was, would be that their, their love for one another. And then Peter declares his undying loyalty and Jesus tells him, you know, bursts bubble, tells him about the denials that will be coming the three times Peter's going to deny Jesus. And then Jesus kind of, he starts talking about leaving. And this is where we come to our passage. So that's kind of the context of where we are. And so we're going to read John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7 is our passage this morning. So I'm going to read it. And if you have your Bible, you can read along. And otherwise, you could listen. This is what Jesus says uh, to his disciples in this, in this upper room. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is God's word. Love that, Thomas. Big, big idea this morning is that we take confidence because in Jesus, we find the way to God and a place for us. We take confidence because in Jesus, we find the way to God and a place for us. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, there's lots of annoying things people say in life. I found like a bunch of lists of annoying things people say on the internet. So here's just a few examples. You'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll relate to some of these. So one, one of them is, don't be upset. It could be worse. And you're going through something and it's like, it's like that's not helping me. Or, hey, you need to calm down. <laughs> it's like, that's making me more angry, probably. Or how, how does it matter? It's not like it affects you. You know, if you're sharing something about what's going on in the world and like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect you. It's like, well, thanks. Or you look tired. I think we just need to get rid of that one completely. That is, that is unhelpful to me. If you tell me that I look tired, it's like, thanks for nothing, you know, or why are you so quiet? You should speak more. Don't be shy. <laughs> These things. Or I would have done that differently if I were you you know, annoying things. They're like, they're not things we like to hear. They don't, they don't feel like they're helpful. And I think that if, you know, if it was anyone else saying, don't let your hearts be troubled, we might be annoyed. Like if that was random person on the street or, you know, fellow Christian who just comes up and like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Be like, Hey man, like 
you know, back off a little bit. Like I feel a little bit troubled, you know, and there's a bunch of these in the New Testament. They happen quite a bit. I call them the don't let's. And, you know, at different points, they're there and they right away, they remind me that I have a part in this. And so I don't always like them. You know, it's like, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, like, that's not my fault, you know. But then the more I think about it, it's like, well, I do have a part in this. There are things that I'm letting or not letting happen. And the word Jesus uses is actually the word agitate or trouble or disturb or to stir up like water. If you pictured, you know, someone frothing up the water, that's like the word. That's a like a very practical definition of the word. So agitate or trouble, you know, Proverbs 4.23 says it like this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Like, don't let your heart be agitated. Speak to it, command it, lead it, guard it, because you're either moving into that or you're resisting it as it comes. Jesus says, don't fear, but believe. John starts this whole section with, uh, with saying, by saying Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. So Jesus comforts his disciples. He knows he's leaving. He knows that things are going to be hard for them. And he reassures them. He reminds them they're about to go through the meat grinder emotionally all the the pressure and the stress that they're going to be under. And Jesus's answer to it is himself. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. The ESV says, believe in God or believe also in me. And the word believe is connected to the word trust. We, I talk a lot about how faith, that word is very connected to the word trust. Well, this word believe is also connected to the word trust. You know, Jesus saying, like, trust me, I won't let you flounder. Things are going to be hard, but, you know, don't let it agitate you. Don't move into that. Trust me. Or in a few verses, Jesus will say in, in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, he's. He's saying this to the disciples, and we all know that they're going to go through it. They're going to go through the crucifixion, and they're going to wonder at Jesus's death, and they're going to be confused about the resurrection until they all see him and are really convinced. But what about for us? I think if you're not sure if you're troubled, you should just try planning something. Like, you know, we, we signed up for the pastor and spouse retreat. Usually it's in April, late April or May. And so a few months ago, they, you know, the, the conference, the BC conference said, hey, we're going to put on a pastor and spouse retreat. We don't know if it's going to work out, but we're just going to try. So if you, if you want to try with us, you know, sign up. So we signed up and we were excited. We were like, we signed up for a Soyuz and it's like a small group and we're just going to have a room and we're going to be away and we're going to be encouraged. And so we, Lauren and I were really excited. And then, you know, a week ago or whatever, they sent out the thing like, yeah, it's canceled. You know, it's like, thanks a lot. Or, you know, we're looking at Becca is, has been researching and talking to people and looking into doing like a kids camp in a limited way within protocols and that are allowed, you know, in cohorts and all these things. She's got like, you know, she just 
plant thinks of all these great ideas on how we can do this thing. And it's like everyone, I just keep saying like, yeah, just take another little step. Let's just take another step. And everyone we talk to, you know, she's talked to some people, I've talked to some people, they're all like, well, that's not going to work. Like, or that you're not gonna be allowed to do that. Or like, it's just all like, no one's ready to, to commit to anything because it's so, there's so much uncertainty. And, and I don't know what troubles you. Maybe it is the future, not being sure about what's coming. Or maybe it's the past things you've lived through. Or maybe it's the present. Maybe it's, it's restrictions or not enough restrictions. Or maybe it's masks are bothering you. Or maybe it's the anti-maskers bother you. Or maybe it's Russia. Or maybe it's China, what they're doing. Or maybe it's the national jet debt that just is like exploding or maybe it's global warming or your paycheck or family conflict. I don't know what it is, but I know that we all encounter trouble. And so my discussion question for you today is, do you think of yourself as a worrier, someone who carries kind of anxieties or worries? And if you do or don't, then the other part of it is, how do you deal with your trouble? So we all have these things. And the question is like, how do you deal with it? So are you a worrier? And whether you are or not, how do you deal with those things? What do you, how do you process or deal with your worries or anxieties? Um, so let's go to group. Okay, well, welcome back. Um, so this, the second thing we see or that I see is Jesus saying he's preparing a place for us. And uh, there's a story about a, a wealthy man who died and he went to heaven. And, uh, you know, he gets there. And of course, it's St. Peter who meets him at the gate and pearly gates, you know, is in every joke. And so, you know, they, Peter says, okay, I want to show you your house. And so they start going down the golden street, you know, and turn right on the second brick or whatever. And they get down and it's like mansion after mansion after mansion. It's all these like big, beautiful houses with big lawns and like, they just keep walking. This guy's like, oh, this is amazing. Like every house is just insanely awesome. And they get down to the end of the street and, you know, it's been like tons and tons, a long street. And uh, they get to this like little shack on the, you know, at the end of the street. And, and St. Peter says, you know, this is your house. We, we got it ready for you. And the guy's like, what? I don't understand. I like, why can't I have one of these mansions? Like there's all these mansions. Why do I have a little shack there? And uh, St. Peter says, well, you know, we did the best we could with the money you sent us. And now I would like to segue into tithing. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, but I think kind of, we all picture, you know, we're going to get to heaven. And the first thing we'll say is like, Jesus, I'm so glad to see you. And the second thing we'll say is like, where's my mansion? And, you know, we have this idea that like, we're all going to get this big mansion in heaven. And sadly, I hate to do this, but the idea of mansions in heaven comes from a misunderstanding. And the, the English translations that have the word mansion in them, it, they can be traced back to Tyndale. And in the, in middle English, the word mansions just meant a dwelling place. It didn't mean like a big house for rich people. And so the, the word mansions that's put in those translations meant something different. It meant a dwelling place. The word is abode or room or dwelling place, like a, just a place where you live. That's, what, that's how they use the word mansions. So I just burst your bubble. So we went from, from 
having a mansion in heaven now to having a room. And so maybe some of you feel a little bit disappointed. You're like, I, I thought I was going to get a mansion. Now you're talking about a room. You know, what is Jesus saying is really what we should be asking. Is Jesus trying to describe a feature of heaven? And so that we can all be like excited about a room or a mansion or, you know, is he describing a feature of heaven or is he talking about something bigger, something more important? Is he saying something more powerful? This is what he says. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I, I speak at Camp Quanos a lot. And uh, if you've ever been to camp, one of the funny things about Christian camp is like, if there's a hierarchy at camp, the camp speaker is way up on the hierarchy. And it's like, was a pleasant surprise to me when I was the camp speaker. Like everyone's like, oh, you're the speaker. It's like, oh, okay, wow. Okay, I like this, oh, you know, I'm gonna speak at camp. Like I'm the, I'm the guy, you know? And, and one of the things is like at Camp Quanos, they like, set out your room. They're like, oh, you're here, here. We have this room. It's got your name on it. And we've got this special basket here with all these goodies and like pop and chips and chocolate bars for you and a special shirt. And we like made your room just the way you like it. And there's a special fan here. And we like, we set it all up for you. And so that's kind of what it's like when I go to camp is like, you know, I bring the family and we're all there and it's like pretty awesome. And this past year we went to camp and it was, there was COVID and they're doing day camps and there was all sorts of weird stuff going on. And we got there and I said, Hey, I'm the camp speaker. And they said, Oh my goodness, we forgot. We haven't set up your room. And I was like, that's okay. That's fine. So we went to the room and it hadn't even been cleaned and the beds aren't like, there's not enough mattresses. Like the, the bed is made into a desk. Like Lauren and my bed is like a twin bed. It's like, I was like, this doesn't feel good. Like, I, I like feeling like someone prepared a place for me, not like, you know, oh, we'll just stick you wherever. That's not a good feeling. Jesus says he's going to prepare a place. He's going to make ready a place for them and for us. In the first century uh, study Bible, they they highlight the point that the groom often would go to prepare a room for his bride. And he'd do this on the family compound, the family property, or in the family house. And so that was one of the things the groom would do before the wedding. So he would go and prepare a room for his bride. And this is how the language sounds. They bring out the point. You know, Jesus says, I'm, I'll go to prepare a room, and then I'm going to come back and bring you to where I am. It's like groom and bride language. Like I'm going to prepare a room, a place for you uh, and bring you there when the room is finished and the wedding feast will happen. This reminds me also of the wedding feast story that Jesus tells where, you know, the invitations go out and people say, I'm too busy. And, and then the invitations go out to more people. And it's like anyone who will respond and come has a place at the wedding feast. And that's kind of the, the broad invitation goes out for this feast, the feast of God. And there's a place for you, a seat that's reserved if you're willing to come. So we should all hear this as like a tremendous relief that, 
you know, we should be filled with hope and with confidence that Jesus says, I call you friends. I call you bride. I call you invited and welcome that there's a place for you and for me if we're willing to come. So my discussion question for you is this. How do you feel when someone saves you a spot or a place? And I know for me, when I was younger, that was my definition of friendship. It was like, I know we're friends if I go into a room and you saved me a seat. You're like, John, John, over here, I saved you a spot. I'd be like, oh, that's my friend. You know, it's like that, that meant something to me that you would save me a spot and I don't have to go sit in the front, you know, in front of the teacher or wherever. But like, so, so the first part of the question is, how does that feel to you when someone saves you a spot or a place? And then second part of that is, what does it mean that Jesus says he's doing that for you? That Jesus is, is saving, preparing a place for you and for me. Go to your groups. All right. Roll back again. Um, and then, of course, we've got this encounter with... Uh, I just love Thomas. He's, you know, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I think, I feel like we should all love Thomas. I don't know what the, you know, we get down on Thomas, but he was honest Thomas before he was doubting Thomas. Cause he's the one saying like, ah, is anyone else going to tell Jesus? Like, we have no idea what he's talking about. Like, we don't know what you're talking about. Jesus is like, you all know the way. And Thomas is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't think anyone else does here either. Jesus, you know, then makes one of those claims in response to Thomas. He, he makes one of those claims, the kind that make it impossible to see Jesus as just a good teacher or a good rabbi. But maybe he's a liar or maybe he's a lunatic, says C.S. Lewis, or he could be the truth, but he leaves us no option to say he's just a good teacher because of the claims he makes. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And it's interesting that unlike other world religion leaders, Jesus doesn't simply claim to know the way to enlightenment or to the afterlife. He says he is the way which is a totally different thing. It's actually an incredible claim if you really think about it. And the Bible backs this up. Romans 3.22 says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 12.5, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or Galatians 3.26, so in Christ you are all children of God through faith. Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. I mean, it's hard to get past Jesus being a part of all of this. Jesus isn't just giving out heaven tickets and mansions. He is transforming and indwelling people to make them his own right now. 
end into eternity. John continues to use these pictures of like, it's now and it's forever. Eternity is now and forever. And Jesus makes this claim. He says, except through me. I told you when we had the guys working on the porches, how I had one particular porch guy who kept wanting to have conversations. And I'd go outside with the dog and he'd start up a conversation or he'd ask me a question. One of the questions he asked me was, you know, how can Christians say, you know, Jesus is the only way to God. And it's, it's, uh, Timothy Keller would call it a cultural defeater belief. It's a very common question people have in our culture about, about Christianity. How come Christianity claims the exclusive? How is that possible? You know, or isn't that presumptive to, to say that? And Jesus makes a very un 21st century statement when he says he is the only way. That's what he says. My response to my friend, the, the Porsche guy, who's asking me that question, had to do with a personal God. I, I said, you know, the answer that Tim, Timothy Keller gives to this, which is that if we believe in a God who doesn't care how, he, how we come to him, he doesn't care what we call him, and he doesn't care which things we're doing to arrive to salvation or to, to the afterlife, then that would be a God who really is not personal if he doesn't care at all how we come. But Christians believe in a very personal God, a God so personal that he cares what we call him. He cares how we come. And he cares so much that he took a name, Jesus. And he came to show us exactly what he was like by coming in in that form and teaching and then giving himself so that everyone who is willing could come and be a part of that feast and that have a place at that table. Scripture tells us actually that there's two ways that we could get to heaven, two ways we could be saved. I know that's like, this is maybe you don't hear this all the time, but the first way is that is Jesus, that we would invite him to save us and transform us, that we would accept the grace he offers. We would surrender to him. And we'd be baptized as a show of that belief. And then we would follow him and be transformed to become more like him. The second way that we could be saved is that we could earn it. You could earn it. You could meet the demanding, exacting standard of perfection that's given out in the law. But let me warn you, you cannot fail even once to to go that road. And I'll venture to say, None of us are able to meet that exacting standard. Should never fail once. All of us have failed at least once or many times. And so Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. He offers himself for us and our, how we, we just respond to him to, to receive it. In conclusion, we take confidence because in Jesus, we find the way, the open way to God and a place for us. Jesus talks and the disciples are confused. This is like a common thing that happens in the Bible, but you know, he talks about the way he talks about rooms prepared and they're like, where's he going? What's happening? Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus reassures them and us not to let our hearts be agitated. The world is full of trouble. And we know this, that there's a lot going on, but our hope is in a soon and coming King, Jesus who came and Jesus who's coming again. And Jesus reassures them and us that there's a place for us. 
We don't need to be anxious or worried about, you know, will we make it? Jesus himself is getting it ready, like a groom preparing for his bride. There's a seat at the table with, with my name on it and your name on it, a place for all who are willing to respond and come. Jesus also reassures them and us that he himself is the way. This claim runs in loud contradiction to the culture belief that all religions lead to God. If Jesus really is the Savior God-man, reconciling humans and their creator, then he is worthy of our worship and our lives. He really is the way, the truth, and the life, now and forever.